uh, we're we, we looking at some of the chief dangers that confront the church uh, currently. And it's never our goal as Christians, it never should be our goal as Christians, and it's certainly not our goal as, as, as Anthem, to be controversial for the sake of being controversial, to be disagreeable for the sake of being disagreeable, right? to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. I think the gospel is offensive enough as it is. So it, it should never be the goal of any Christian to be, uh, to be offensive or to be uh, controversial. We, it should be our goal to hold to the truth of the gospel, to speak it in love, which is controversial and offensive enough all on its own. It doesn't need anything. So, so we've, what this series has allowed us to do is that we, we've been able to tackle some fairly weighty subjects all under one banner. And it's always been our goal to preach things that we stand for, not what we're against. So we, we don't believe in this family that we, need, that we preach negatively, everything that we stand against, everything that we stand against. No, we preach positively what we stand for. And so it's this, we, we've been able to hit some, some big topics uh, through this series if you've missed any of them, if you've perhaps missed a week or you weren't present for a week or you were here but you weren't present for a week, uh, get onto our website, anthem.org.za, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, all of the, the, the entire series will be there with all of the topics. Uh, go get down, download them. Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find Anthem Church. You can get a podcast there. And so go and get it. Go and find it uh, if you missed any of it. Jesus says this in John chapter 6, or the story is told of Jesus in John chapter 6. On hearing this, on hearing it, many of his disciples, many of, his, many of the people that had been with him, living their lives with him, many of those that had walked and lived and slept and ate with him, that had learned his way of life over the last number of years, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about it, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are full of the Spirit and life, and yet there are some who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From that time, many of his disciples, those that, had, those that were his chassin, those that were his family, those that had been with him, those that had been his gang, turned back. And no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I'm, I'm very aware that there's many people who've been hurt by the church. There's a small percentage of them. And however, that's, however small that percentage is, it's too big. There's a small percentage of people who've been hurt by the church unnecessarily. Through poor doctrine, through poor leadership, sometimes through flat out abuse. And again, however small that percentage is, it's too big. Many, if not most of the people who have been hurt by the church have been necessarily hurt by the church. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not defending poor leadership, poor doctrine, or abuse. And I'm not saying if you were hurt by the church that it was your fault. What I am saying is when I, when I, when I read the scriptures, when I, when I read about this, this man called Jesus, the one who is described as being full of grace, and full of truth. He seems very okay to love people well and then to, to, to teach them. And as they teach them, they get offended because the teaching, they cannot follow it. And so he seems very okay to allow them to go in his way. And in fact, he says to the 12, his 12 closest people in the world, he says to them, guys, if you want to go, you also are welcome to go. And they say, well, we don't. Where else would we go? But he seems okay with it, friends. He seems okay with letting them go because of offense. <clears throat> Today I'm speaking about the danger of us believing in salvation without regeneration. 
I'll get to what that means in a minute. Salvation without regeneration. Regeneration is the process of being made new, of being recreated. Okay? To generate something means to create something. So you generate an invoice. All right? To regenerate means to recreate. You can't do that with invoices. Okay? That's fraud. Please don't tell anybody that your pastor is saying you can do that with invoices. But regeneration is the process of God recreating us into his image of him reviving us, restoring us back into something new that's actually not something new, it's something very old, how we were created in the Garden of Eden, but also how we will be for the rest of eternity. It's that process of recreation, of restoring, reviving. That's what it means to regenerate. Salvation without regeneration. And so why is regeneration important? What is the danger of salvation without regeneration? Regeneration doesn't save you, but regeneration is an indicator that you are saved. So you can't be saved by being regenerated, but regeneration, the process of being reformed, remade, recreated, is an indicator that you are saved. An indicator is a sign to everybody around me that I've uh, intend to turn. All right? I was headed straight. I put my indicator on. Now I'm indicating. I'm letting everybody know around me. It's a sign. Something has changed. My destination has changed, right? That's what my wife tells me an indicator is for when she's sitting in the front seat. I'm not very good at using them. (laughs) So regeneration, the process of God renewing, recreating, and reviving me, lets everyone around me know where I'm headed. It lets everybody around me know it's an indicator to everybody that my destination has changed. I was headed straight. I was headed straight to death. I was headed straight to an eternity apart from God. There's now an indicator my destination has changed. That's what regeneration is. It's an indicator. It doesn't save you, but it's an indicator that you are saved, that you have saved, have been saved, that your life has taken a turn. The problem is that so many people around you don't want your life to change. They want your life to stay, they want you to stay as you are for the rest of your life. They don't want you to change to mainstay. They want you to stay as you are for the rest of your life because they don't want to live, they don't want to live in an unregenerated state by themselves. They want to live in an unchanged state with you. What that means is your regeneration will offend some people. As you start becoming more like Christ, you would think that becoming a better person would make people like you more. Unfortunately, the gospel is not, fortunately, the gospel is not about becoming a better person. The gospel doesn't make good people bad. The gospel makes dead people alive. And so as you become more alive, so I become more like Christ. As a byproduct, I become a better person. But the goal of the gospel is not to become a better person. It's to become more like Christ. And because the world hates Christ, as I become more like him, so the world will hate me more. What that means is if there is is no conflict between the person that you are becoming and the world around you, your family and friends who don't know Christ, if there is no conflict between the person you're becoming and those people, It could be that you have believed that you could be a Christian, that you could be saved and not regenerated. As you become regenerated, so the world will hate you more. You with me? Are you smiling still? You should be, because it's actually good news. 
Again, I'm, I'm not saying that, that we should go out of our way to be controversial or offensive to people. This isn't an excuse to offend people, right? You, you can't go around behaving like a tool and just say, that's okay, the world hates Christ, so that's why they hate me. No, you're just behaving like a, a twit. Just behave a little bit better. The, the, the world, uh, Jesus' disciples weren't offended with him, they were offended with his teaching. The gospel is offensive enough. You, we don't need to add a little bit of our own flavor to its offense. Just behave a little bit better. Hold the truth in love. The gospel is controversial and offensive enough all on its own. It doesn't need any of your help, I promise. So we spoke last year about, and it's become a part of our language, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus. And we said it's, it's a process. And that process is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then to do the things that Jesus did. And as salvation, as discipleship or apprenticeship is a process, so regeneration is also a process. It's also a process. This is what the process of regeneration looks like. It's knowing the right thing, doing the right thing, and then wanting to do the right thing. So in the process of discipleship, it's not good enough for us just to be with Jesus. The goal of discipleship is not to be with Jesus. That's the starting point, right? Remember Judas, the guy that's famous for betraying Jesus. He was with Jesus, yet he never became like Jesus. He never did the things that Jesus did. He never went through the process of discipleship. He just was content to be with Jesus. That's, why, that's not the goal of discipleship, is to be with you. It's a starting point, but it's not the goal. And so um, regeneration is not only knowing and doing the right thing. It has to be wanting to do the right thing too. Because if it's just knowing the right thing and doing the right thing, then all Christianity is is a moral change from bad to good. It takes bad people and makes it makes them good, which is not the gospel. The gospel takes dead people and makes them alive. And as the, the more alive I become, so the better the person I become. Being a good person is just a byproduct, not the goal. So you should be a better person, but it's a byproduct. The end goal of Christianity isn't morality, it's holiness. So let's go through this process real quick. Uh, knowing the right thing to do. Knowing the right thing to do. This is information and instruction. Information and instruction. Knowledge and instruction are an important part of salvation, but knowledge can't save you. Knowledge on its own can't save you. Knowledge can't regenerate you on its own. So knowledge is knowing that a banana is a fruit. But unless you do something with that knowledge, it won't save your pizza from that banana. That is the unforgivable sin. Banana on pizza. Knowledge on its own, knowledge on its own cannot save you. What that means is you can read the Bible cover to cover every month for a year. You can listen to every single podcast. You can come here Sunday after Sunday. You can go to Life Group. You can hear good teaching and, and, and good teaching and, and more good teaching and, and podcasts. And you can gain all the knowledge that you want. It cannot save you. Knowing the right thing is important. I'm not saying let's not gain knowledge. We need knowledge. We need instruction. But it's got its limitations, which is why that is the process of regeneration is not no more. It starts with no more. So if, 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 I, if you are a Christian, if you have recently become a Christian, to gain knowledge is important because if I want to become like Jesus, I need to know what Jesus is like. 
Otherwise, I can't become like him. I need to know what are, what is it, what are his ways of life. What is his way of life? What are his teachings if I want to become like him? So I need knowledge. I'm, I have to acquire knowledge. But knowledge has its limitations. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowing the right thing to do and not doing it is actually a sin. So if, if you are not prepared to do the hard work of doing the right thing, then it's probably better for you not to know what the right thing is. Because then you still have ignorance as an excuse. Which is why, if we go into public, if you've got a five-year-old child and you're, you're doing your Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve in a crowded mall and he shouts out, Dad, why is that man so fat at the top of his voice? You're embarrassed, right? But you've got grace because he's five, and you, ignorance is still, a, still an excuse for him, okay? He, he doesn't know what the social norms and protocols are. But when your son is 25, and you're going to a mall, and he's still behaving like that, it's an issue. When you, when you, when you've, as you start following Jesus, there's grace for you to not know the right thing to do. There's grace for you to say the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. There's grace for you to make mistakes and, and, and to do the wrong thing. There's grace. When you've been following Jesus for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years, ignorance isn't a good excuse anymore. You should have gained knowledge. As you, that's knowing the right thing. We, sh, we need to gain knowledge, but recognize that knowledge has its limitations. Then it's doing the right thing. John 14, verse 23, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So a sign, an indicator that you love Jesus is not only that you know what his teaching is, but it's that you obey them. You obey his teachings. You do the right thing. Doing, his right, doing the right thing is an indicator that you are busy being regenerated. It's a sign to everybody around you that you are busy being regenerated, recreated, reformed, revived, restored. Jesus says, when Jesus is teaching his disciples, time and time again, he says to them, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. And he seems to be continually taking his disciples on this process of retraining them, of reforming them. Of re as, he's sitting, as he's sitting talking with them, so he's getting them to, see, um, regeneration is a spiritual thing, but it's also a mental thing. He's retraining their minds how to think. You've heard it said, this, you've thought this in the past, and now, but I say to you, think this in the future. That's what repentance is, thinking a different way, changing your way of thinking, repentance. You might have heard the word deconstruction. Deconstruction, it's a, it's a buzzword in America at the moment. And so a couple of uh, prominent people on social media with, with, with big following, followings have come out and said, um, I used to consider myself a Christian and now I've deconstructed. I've broken down my faith and I no longer identify with being a Christian. And so the church, the church panics and said, oh, de everybody's deconstructing their faith. And it's a crisis. Friends, when I read the scriptures, when I look at Jesus, he seems to continually be de deconstructing. As a pastor, deconstructing can be healthy, good, effective. It all depends on what you reconstruct. So it's, if you just deconstruct, you then live in rubble. You can't live in the rubble, right? You have to reconstruct and rebuild something. So going on a process of questioning your faith is, is a healthy thing. Jesus seems to take his disciples on this process continually. Question your faith. You've always believed this. Why do you believe that? You've always done this. Why do you do that? You've always thought that. Why do you think that way? 
question your faith. Friends, God is not offended by your questions. Deconstruction can be good and healthy. It all depends on what you reconstruct because you can't live in rubble. Even, so, so, so even doing the right thing isn't good enough. Knowing the right thing and even doing it isn't good enough. It's an indicator of regeneration. But if it stops there, it's not regeneration. If it stops there, Christianity is just a moral revolution. For so many people, Christianity is just about doing the right thing. The problem with, with this way of thinking is that being a good person can't save you. Being saved will make you a better person, but being a better person can't save you. Remember, we, we spoke, I spoke earlier about not the, the gospel doesn't make bad people good, it makes dead people alive. And the more alive I become, so as a byproduct, I become a better person. But the end goal is not to be a better person. The end goal is to be alive. And the more alive I become as a byproduct, the better person I become. So just doing the right thing is not good enough. That's just morality. That's not the end goal. That's a byproduct. That's what we get when you follow Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace that you've been saved. So here's the thing. I can get to the second point all on my own. I can, know, I can get, gain knowledge on what the right thing is, and I can perhaps do the right thing all on my own. I can do that on my own. The problem is, if I get there today, if I do the right thing today, tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm probably going to do the wrong thing. Most probably. What does my goodness yesterday count for if I don't have that same goodness today? If I, if, I, if I did the right thing today, but I do the wrong thing tomorrow, my goodness for yesterday, doing the right thing counts for nothing, right? If I, if I exercise every morning but eat McDonald's for dinner, what does my exercise count for? Very little, probably nothing. Doing the right thing, if I haven't changed, if I, if I haven't changed beyond that, doing the right thing today counts for very little because tomorrow I'm probably going to do the wrong thing. Remember, we, we want to do the right thing. We want to do the right thing. But if we stop there, we're never living in the fullness of regeneration that the gospel offers us. And I think it's fair to ask the question, if we are followers of Jesus at all, I think it's fair. If, if I'm driving, if there's a guy driving down the road and he's got his indicator on for two kilometers, but he never turns, I think it's fair to ask the question, are you planning on actually turning? If you have an indicator that you are being regenerated, yet you never change, I think it's fair to ask the question, are you a follower of Jesus? Your indicator is on, but you're not turning. Perhaps just turn the indicator off or turn, make a decision. So how do you know that you, how do you, know that you are a Christian? How do you know that you've met Jesus and become a Christian? See, calling yourself something doesn't make you that thing. American football teams call themselves World Series champions, but they only play themselves. Okay? You can call yourself something. It doesn't make, you, doesn't make you that. You can call yourself a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian. How do you know? How do you know that you have met Jesus and become a Christian? I think 
regeneration is a good indicator. If I am truly a Christian, I will be going through this continual process of discipleship, being with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things that he, that he did. And I'll be going through the process, continual process of regeneration, of knowing the right thing, doing the right thing, and then wanting to do the right thing. It's not just morality. It's wanting to do the right thing. It's a change of desire. For the rest of our lives, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. It can't stop at doing the right thing. The pinnacle of regeneration is wanting to do the right thing. It's a change of desire. So as I see it, sin can be broken down into three spheres. Let's talk sin for a minute. Three spheres. All of us have a sinful nature, a sinful desire, and a sinful habit. We've spoken about how we deal with the sinful nature before. What that means is by, vir- by virtue of the fact that you were born into a broken, sinful world, before you said or did anything, good or bad, before, you thought, before thoughts entered your mind, you were born with a sinful nature because you were born into a sinful, broken world. All right? Because you did nothing to, con- to get your sinful nature, you can't do anything to, to get yourself out of your sinful nature, to get a new nature. To be a Christian, the starting point of being a Christian is I put all of my trust in Jesus as the only one who can take my broken, sinful nature and give me a new, regenerated nature. That's what it means to be a Christian, okay? But that's the starting point of being a Christian. As good news as that is, that's base one, friends. That's the bottom of the pyramid, a new nature. What I need to recognize is that my nature gives birth to my desires, and my desires fuel my habits, And so when I talk about um, trying to deal with sin in my life, I've dealt with, Jesus has dealt with my sinful nature, which is the root cause of all sin, is my sinful nature, right? But just because the root cause of all sin is dealt with doesn't mean that there's no more sin. You only have to look at my life and your life to know that that's true. My sinful nature is dealt with, but I still have some sinful desires, and I still have some sinful habits. We need to constantly recognize where our desires come from. So many of us simply try to change our habits. We simply try to change our sinful habits. And we, because we say, I've got a new nature, and therefore I should have new habits. No, friends. You've still, many of us still have broken sinful desires that were born out of our old nature. And because our desires have never been regenerated, we can't change a, a, a habit out of a broken desire. That's why dieting doesn't work. I can, I can change the habits. I can change my habits and, and eat kale and quinoa. But when I go to bed at night, I still desire pizza and chocolate. I can change my habits all I want. My habits are fueled by, by my desires, and my desires are born out of my nature. And so many of us, although we have a, a regenerated nature, we try to regenerate our habits, but our desires are still fueled by our unregenerated, broken, sinful nature, and our habits will never change. If that's the case, we have to allow our new nature to, to create and form new, to, to give birth to new desires that we can then fuel new habits out of. Romans chapter 6, Paul says, Paul says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you slaves of the one you obey, whether you slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you once used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. 
you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness, a slave to righteousness. I'm, I have no choice but to obey righteousness, right standing with God. What God says is good, right, and moral. I have no choice. I'm a slave to belong. I, I, I have no choice but to do that. I have to obey it. I'm using a, an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what did you benefit at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit that you reap leads to holiness and the results is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, what happened to us was that our sinful natures made us slaves to sin. I had no choice but to obey, but to, obedient, to, to be obedient to my broken sinful nature because it gave birth to a broken sinful desire, which then informed, fueled broken sinful habits. Then he says, but you, you, you now have a new nature. You, you once were dead, but you are now alive. You have a new nature. You have an unbroken, righteous, godly nature. It was dead, it's now alive. You're dead in your transgressions, you are now alive in Christ. But he says, you, you, you now need to become a slave to that nature. You need to become, you need to allow that new nature to give a birth to new desires, which can then fuel new habits. You can't just change your habits. You have to change your desires. You can't just do the right thing. You have to want to do the right thing. You can't just eat kale. You have to want to eat kale. I don't know how you do that. This is why both Jesus and Paul say regularly, don't judge others. See, I, I can't judge your habits if I don't know your desires. Also, just because you are doing something good doesn't mean that you've had a regenerated desire. Doesn't mean you've had a good... So I can change my habits without changing my desires and say, I am better than you because you are still sinning. But my, if my desire is unregenerated, if, if my desire hasn't been changed... All that will happen is I might do good for a day. Maybe I can do it for a week and maybe the best of us can push it for a month. But what happens is if my desire has never changed, if my desire has never regenerated the next day, it will give birth to a sinful habit again. Paul reflects this frustrating paradox between a changed desire and beginning to form new habits out of our desires. In Romans chapter 7, he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do, and what I hate, I do. I don't know if you can identify with that. What I want to do, I don't do, and what I hate, I do. But if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me. <clears throat> for, I know that the, for I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I don't do the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers us, who delivers me. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a great description of addiction, right? Addiction is a deeply formed habit 
fueled out of a broken desire. A deeply formed habit fueled out of a broken desire. The thing is, all of us have an addiction to sin. All of us have deeply formed habits that are born and are fueled by broken, sinful desires. The thing that I want to do isn't the thing that I do. And the thing that I don't want to do, that's how do I keep on doing it? now? because your desire needs to be regenerated. You've had, a, you've had a new nature. You can't just have a new habit. You need to change. You need to want to do the right thing. You can't just know the right thing and do the right thing. You need to want to do the right thing. And again, I can do those first two on my own. I can know the right thing. I can do the right thing on my own. But to want to do the right thing, that's purely a work of the Holy Spirit in me, the work of regeneration. What is an indicator that I'm a Christian? What is a sign to those around me that my life has changed and I'm, I'm taking a turn? I'm, I'm beginning to want to do the right things. I desire righteousness. It's a slow process. See, the, because, it's, because it's out of my control, it's the deepest part of the process. It's the deepest practice. It's a slow process. That's why we have grace for each other. We resist the temptation to judge. I can't judge your habits if I don't know your desires. The very thing that you're doing that I'm judging you for, you might have a desire not to do it. In other words, you've had a regenerated desire. The habits are still catching up. That's what Paul says. Jesus says, do not judge. The process of regeneration is to know the right thing, learn, acquire knowledge. Then to do the right thing, put that knowledge into practice, and then it's a change of desire to want to do the right thing. Can you change? Can you stand with me, please? <clears throat>